I've had some like tiny wins in the sense of like, I had an idea, I tried it, it worked out. And so I tried it again and I tried it again. You gotta be like, no, 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 come on, it's gonna work. Come on, we can do this without actually knowing how you're gonna do it or pull it off. For more than 20 years, Travis Rice has been pushing the envelope of what's possible in snowboarding. The Red Bull athlete has won prestigious awards for his riding and created a new winter sports competition. Travis has also built new businesses like Sendy and changed the way action sports films are made. His specialty is pushing the limits on challenging terrain and in the industry at large. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production brought to you by Capital One. Travis Rice loves exploring new snowboarding lines that seem impossible. He speeds down mountains while launching off of boulders and steep cliffs. This passion led him to create the snowboarding competition, Natural Selection, which emphasizes the artistry of the sport paired with technical riding. For Travis, snowboarding is about testing his limits and expressing himself creatively. Travis Rice, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Excited to have yeah, you on. Good morning. First chat of the morning. This is a splendid way to start the day. I think for the people who don't know you, people are curious, like, how did you get into snowboarding? You could have been probably a pro skater, <laughs> probably pro motorcycle rider, pro skier. I'm guessing you grew up in Jackson, right? I grew up in Jackson. I love playing in the mountains. You know, I, I skied from when I was a little kid. My dad worked on the mountain. He was a ski patroller. And, you know, Jackson's winters are brutal. And so, you know, you, you got to stay active and you got to play. And, you know, lucky for us, that was the greatest natural resource we had in the winter was to go out and go play in the snow. So for me, you know, I didn't start snowboarding until I was like 12. And by that time, you know, I, I felt like I could do anything on skis. It was like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. You know, I'd even watch like, you know, pro skiers. And it was just like, how do we go and like try to ride that type of stuff? Because I feel like I can land off any cliff I jump off. Or, you know, a confident little kid, right? But it was, it was kind of boring unless it was a great powder day. I mean, frankly, like making turns down the mountain didn't really do anything for me. And I remember, you know, the first time I tried to snowboard and I struggled, but it was like the first time I did a turn, like on the edge, that was such a challenging thing to do. And, you know, started riding and a few years into it was still chasing that, that arc. Because to do a good turn on a snowboard, I mean, it, you know, you, you can get it within, I don't know, third day, fourth day, you can start to feel what that feels like. But, I mean, I'm 30 years in and I'm still chasing that feeling of, you know, on a single rail trying to hold a beautiful arc. And, you know, your entry into it, how deep you go with it and your exit out of it into the next one. And and that has kind of stayed a consistent theme that still gets me out of bed in the morning and I'm still excited to do it. It's a beautiful arc. How did you get into film? So, yeah, I was I was lucky enough. I had an awesome teacher and what a cool elective at Jacksonville High School. Actually, Jacksonville Middle School it started. There was film class, right? You could go in and take a class on TV and filmmaking. 
And you had shoulder mount beta cameras. You go, you know, shoot things, put together interviews, do silly news stories on things. And it was always my favorite, favorite class. Like being able to try to walk the fine line of put on a serious morning, because there's news every morning, student news. And being able to walk the fine line of like slipping through a story that was just serious enough where we wouldn't get in trouble, but that was like funny enough where you could like make everyone in the school laugh. And then moving on to being able to travel with filmmakers and snowboarding. And I just, I took it, you know, upon myself to apprentice, to ask questions. You know, I'm in proximity to these amazing filmmakers and photographers. It's not a leap to ask someone some questions. And I think that's something that a lot of people uh, work close to or in proximity to these masters, people who have mastered whatever skill or craft it is through their life and have all this amazing information on how something works and probably want to share it, want to like teach it. But you got to ask, you got to coax it. And so I was always like, hey, how do you do that? How do you change film? What's the exposure? And so I asked 100 questions and then I started doing it and then you learn it. At age 18, Travis started making his way as a full-time competitive athlete. Eventually, he started moving away from the traditional competition circuit. He made a living as a sponsored athlete, shooting films in the backcountry, and designing cutting-edge snowboards with the brand LibTech. In 2008, Travis saw a way to push the industry in a different direction and turn a new wild idea into reality. With that, Natural Selection was born. So you were a competition snowboarder, not until age 18, which seems like old for competition snowboarding. But there was something about traditional snowboard competition that was just not doing it for you. It led you to create your own Red Bull Supernatural, then the natural selection. I'm guessing it's just that you, you don't like all these rules and you wanted, you wanted more canvas is what I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. But like, what did you not like that led your energy to be like, screw it, I'm going to start my own thing? Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, it actually, the process for me was a little bit different because I, I was a fan of competition snowboarding. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was it's hard. Like to stand in the start gate and drop in like, okay, you've got three seconds. Okay, your turn, go. You know, there's something that you don't get that from anything else in life, at least for me. And I really enjoyed everything from just the physicality and the mental challenge to, you know, the like, everyone gets together, we have a competition, and then, you know, we party. And sometimes, sometimes you win cash, sometimes you win cars. But, you know, I also really like the backcountry stuff, as did most of the people I competed with. And so we made movies, we rode in the backcountry, and then we competed. And that was kind of the rhythm of things. And I don't think it was so much out of like any bitterness of not appreciating or liking where we were. I think it was just out of like, okay, like this is getting a little repetitive. Could this be more interesting? And like, this is where the snowboarding culture and skiing for that matter, like it's been progressing in this direction for 50 years. You know, like racing led to like half pipes and then half pipes led to like parks and jumps, which then allowed 
the snowboarders to, you know, do bigger and better tricks. And there's still a ton of progression left. And I'm a fan. I watch half pipe and, you know, slope style events. But it's gotten so technical, so technical where, like, to thrive, you have to train like a gymnast now. And that sort of kind of structured dedication, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's a it's beautiful in its own right. It's just not really why a lot of people love to go snowboard. <laughs> um, and so this natural selection thing, this was, you know, hundreds of conversations with an entire industry, the brands, you know, the most influential riders, uh, the creatives. And what came out of that was like this natural selection event where you take a lifetime of experience, a rider has accrued and apply it to big mountain, natural terrain, natural snow conditions, which natural snow conditions are always changing and creating these grand venues that are so massive with so much creative opportunity and being able to have riders come and compete where a competition run is potentially ending a video part. And that's kind of where the bar is in the adventure sports space is, you know, the best of the best usually happens in a video and it's filmed. And, you know, it's limitless where it can go because we're dealing with natural topography, natural oddities, and how riders interact with them. And it's judged on like style as much as... It's judged on a number of things. It's judged on style. It's judged on like the difficulty that a rider chooses to take with their line, the creativity, the technicality, the fluidity. And the beauty of this event is, you know, it really is not so much about domination. The riders that end up standing on the podium at the end of the day are the riders who have kind of harmonized with the natural conditions in that face the best that day. Because it really is. It's, these venues are, are huge and they're very complicated. Natural selection takes place on mountains around the world, sometimes miles away from civilization where there is no cell phone service. It's a beast to pull off logistically. Still, Travis has managed to broadcast the competition internationally and it's become a mainstay in the snowboarding industry. Natural selection has been embraced as a way for athletes to continue to showcase their craft, skill, and love for the sport. When we come back, Travis talks about the line he recently discovered, the Velvet Castle, and the most profound experiences he's had on a board. Here's a cool wild idea. REI and Capital One have partnered to support the mission of creating a more equitable outdoors, something that's important to us at Wild Ideas and to you, our listeners. Through the REI Co-op MasterCard program, Capital One and REI donate $2 million every year to the REI Cooperative Action Fund. That donation supports more than 200 nonprofit organizations across the country working to create a more equitable outdoors for everyone. If you want to find local REI fund grantees in your community and learn more about the amazing work they're doing, check out the link in our show notes. And to learn more about the REI Co-op MasterCard program, go to rei.com slash MasterCard dash podcast. That's rei.com slash MasterCard dash podcast. If 
It's time to start planning your spring outdoor adventures because believe it or not, springtime is right around the corner. After you decide which campsites to book and trails to hike, you're going to want to get your gear prepped. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Birkenstock's Mogami Terra Sandal. The sandal's designed to bring the comfort and support of their iconic contoured footbed to an outdoor sandal. The sandal also has their iconic adjustable dual straps and a hook and loop back strap to keep your foot feeling secure all day long. They're the perfect complement to your favorite trail and water adventures. With added durability, traction, and water resistance, Birkenstock has created an incredible off-road edition of their popular sandals for under $100. Check them out now at your local REI or at REI.com. If you're looking to go on more adventures this year, I have something you're going to love. Did you know that REI offers wholly immersive outdoor experiences where they manage all of the details? I'm talking bucket list vacations, like camping in Bryce Canyon or snowshoeing through Lake Tahoe. They'll even take you cycling through Alaska. REI organizes all of the accommodations and works with world-class guides to plan your outdoor adventure and make sure you're doing it safely. What I love most is that these trips cater to beginners and experts and are suitable for various groups, including families, women, and those under 35. That means that there's an adventure for everyone. With more than 100 trips from coast to coast, REI is sure to have a trip that will get you outside, learn new skills, and meet new friends for future adventures. And there's a bonus if you're an REI co-op member. Members save an average of $400 on each trip they book and get a bunch of other benefits. If you're not a member yet, we'll share a link in the show notes so you can join today. Visit rei.com adventures to find the itinerary for you. That's rei.com adventures. More than 20 years into his career, Travis Rice is still innovating in the sport of snowboarding. Most recently, Travis was scouting on a place to propose to his now fiance, and he happened upon a brand new line in British Columbia. Two weeks after he noticed the peak, he and his buddy flew back to ride it. The line was extremely tall and steep. It included a 3,700-foot vertical drop, which was the equivalent of about three Empire State buildings. Travis took a video on his GoPro as he descended, and you can see him jumping over these snowy white masses that look soft, but are actually large boulders and trees. In the world of snow sports, when you're the first to ride a line, you also get to name it. Travis named the route Velvet Castle, which are the middle and last names of his fiance. But the name also perfectly describes the ride. The snow was like velvet, and getting to the mountain was like breaching the walls of a fortress. I just want to talk about your most recent Instagram post in December. There was this crazy line, the Velvet mm-hmm. Castle. Looks impossible, but you're like, no, it's possible, and you do it. Tell me about the this, this line, how you found it, and what it did, and what's going on in your head when you do it. This face, the Velvet Castle, within it, you have some pretty steep slopes that if there was an avalanche, or if you were to get in a slough, which I think people call sloughs avalanches. But when you make turns on a steep slope when it's powder, you create a lot of moving and running snow. 
that moving and running snow can absolutely grab you and pull you down. So we look at the snow profile to see if it's stable. We do kind of warm-up runs to go and jump on similar aspect slopes, see if we can get any movement. Uh, You need to know how the snow reacts. Sometimes it can be powder and it makes it very difficult to see. You have to be careful how you turn. Sometimes you'll have, you know, a little bit of sun crust or something. So the snow conditions can change a lot. Anyways, we run through this whole procedure of green lights because any red light, it's like, okay, this isn't happening. And so we, we ran through, you know, yeah, probably 10 green lights that morning that we got out to ride it. And it was like, all right, I, I guess everything has come together. We can go give it a shot. What's going through your head as you're riding down this like giant run that's sketchy? Like, you know, you turn a little too far. You are over these death cliffs, but beautiful and unique at the same time. Well, this was a unique face because a lot of times we shoot and film small pieces of terrain. The thing with this is it was almost 4,000 feet with hundreds and hundreds of different like pillow combinations and trying to ride the whole thing without screwing up, right? And so the goal that we set out with was like trying to grease a top to bottom line through these kind of hundreds of different obstacles, majority of which... It's too complicated to plan out. You know, you have a general idea. I had, I had an idea where I was going and what I was doing, but so there's so much that a lot of it you have to make up on the fly. And I think for myself, that was it. That was one of those days where it was like, yeah, it was one of the best days I've ever had in the mountains. For lines like Velvet Castle, Travis does a lot of specific preparation like watching for the perfect weather window and getting equipment to these remote locations. He also taps into his decades of experience to dial in his mindset. He meditates and does mindfulness exercises. And on top of that, Travis is pretty interested in philosophy. Recently, he did a five-hour interview on a snowboarding podcast where he went deep into the meaning of life. His answers were dynamic and introspective. It's clear that you've just thought a lot about life. Where does that come from? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, inevitably we're, we're like we're a product of our environments and the people we choose to spend our time with, and also of our kind of creative choosing and our curiosity. And I think I've always been very curious, uh, especially towards I would say the limitations of of knowledge that came from I think what I got at school. And I think that curiosity just led me on a bit of a, I don't know, alternative quest for truth. I'm a very proof-based individual, or at least I was growing up. And so, you know, for me, it was kind of a, okay, like, let me see it or let me experience it for it to be reality for me. And I I had several experiences that um, kind of shattered that norm in the sense of... um, near-death experience and experiencing something I would say, you know, called time dilation or a a change of the speed that you experience reality at. Mm -hmm. And once for me, it was a, uh, an absolute that what I experienced or, you know, information that I received was irrefutable. 
uh, I think that kind of led me in a bit of a, you know, path of like, okay, well, maybe I don't know. Shh. There's a lot more to learn. Are you able to give us an example of when you were proven wrong by an experience and you learned something from it and your worldview was shattered? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, a couple experiences, you know, frankly, riding, you know, there was a time I was with a buddy of mine, we were filming, you know, these tricks kind of off this natural feature down into this bowl. And I went down and I, and I hit this, I hit this, you know, call it a cliff. And I did this trick and in the air, all of a sudden, like time slowed down and I had a full realization that I was going to land on a rock and, you know, perfect snow, no way of knowing that there was a rock there. And so I was able to contort my body and I landed in an extremely strange way around like a jagged rock that I would have destroyed myself on. And, you know, that was an interesting time where it was like, where did that information come from? I think another time uh, up in Alaska, early on, I got an, an avalanche and ended up kind of tumbling down the mountain. I was okay, but uh, through that experience, I had like, a full time dilation experience where things were going so slow that I had time to ponder, ponder life. And inevitably react in several specific ways that, you know, probably saved my life. And so, you know, for me, something like that took place. And, you know, it's the classic, well, if this is bending my reality in a certain way, well, then, like, what else does that mean, right? What are the implications uh, of that? It's kind of a can of worms that it opens up. I do think that there's something that happens when people have these high adrenaline experiences. The mind expands in new ways and opens to new possibilities. For some of us, going after those opportunities feels scary. We ask ourselves, what if we fail? What if that project doesn't turn out the way we thought? But Travis takes pride in falling and getting back up and trying again. That tenacity helps him follow through on all of his wild ideas. How do you take these wild, wild ideas, come up with them, and then make them a reality? Because you've had some of the wildest ideas in the industry, but you've seen them through. You know, it seems like you're very good at when someone says it's impossible. You're like, nah, it's, it's possible. Um, you know, I, I think like a lot of, of people growing up, um, I had a lot of weird and wild ideas like so many kids do. And I don't know, for some reason, I wasn't stifled like so many kids are. I didn't have to relinquish a curiosity. And through snowboarding and a few other of my outlets, I, I had some like tiny wins in the sense of like, I had an idea, I tried it, it worked out. And so I tried it again and I tried it again and somehow... I, I, I like to laugh at it that I, you know, kind of just bullshitted my way into the position that I have because it's like, oh, no, no, this is, let's try this. This is, oh, for sure, this is the way to do it. But that's part of it. It's like fake it till yeah. you make it. Sometimes you don't know, like, yeah. until you make yeah. it. You got you to gotta be the, the like, no, 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 come on, it's going to work. Come on, we can do this without actually knowing how the, you're going to do it or pull it off. And I think I had a, a series of those which kind of built and 
you know, my confidence and further instilled the like, no, 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 this is, this is a thing. See, it can work. And, you know, here I am, I guess today. And yeah, we've, we've done some, some really big projects that took a lot of resources and a lot of individuals on a amazing ride. Well, maybe it's that you're okay failing a little bit and you just get back up from failure a little bit easier. Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I fail on the constant. I mean, that's the, that's also what I love about snowboarding is that you're not expected to land every time. I crash a lot. That's my... I read that's your... Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, your superpower, yeah, I read. Exactly, it really is. So so how? How did you learn how to crash and get back up so well? I mean, you got to learn to tumble. You got to learn to fall. I'm definitely someone that operates inertia, for better or for worse. Like, if I'm going to go move over to that place, I'm going to accelerate my inertia and then stop over there. And sometimes I'll stub my toe or I'll bump into something and it doesn't work out. But if you're not falling, then like, you're not trying. If you want to learn more about Travis Rice and all of his projects, I highly recommend checking out his Instagram at Travis Rice. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-R-I-C-E. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Piers Nitzberg of Puddle Creative. Our senior producers are Jenny Barber and Hannah Boyd. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love when you follow the show, take the time to rate it and write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.